The Actor CEO Podcast, Episode Twenty. What really excites me about theatre is that it's a medium in which you can have a performance happening in front of your eyes.、Um, you're in the room where where the scene is playing out. You feel like you're more included in a theatre scene than you do in other media. Going up, you're an actor, but you're also a business. Take control of your career by learning how to manage it like a boss. Be driven. Be responsible. Be in control. Be an actor CEO. And now your host, Mike Moreno. Hello again, and welcome to the Actor CEO Podcast. Thank you for joining me on this journey of learning, exploration, and dedication. If you want to keep getting these tips and tricks from industry pros, established actors, and the fabulous, hardworking artists we bring on this program, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. That way, when you're on the go to your next audition, commuting home from work. Or even at the gym, you can take a moment to listen and get some serious insight into building a better career by becoming an actor CEO. Today's episode explores the plays and writings of Pete Malicki. It's a rare treat to have the writer in the room when working on a production. So when you get a chance to ask some of those in-depth, developmental questions, you should take it. I'm always fascinated with how the writer envisioned these characters and their motivations, and why putting them in these circumstances proved to be the most interesting. Their words and rhythms are plotted out with purpose, and it's both a challenge and an adventure to find an accurate and honest way of interpreting their work. Pete Malicki is a world record-holding producer, monologue expert, internationally successful playwright. And veteran of the Sydney, Australia art scene, he has had over 750 productions of 70 different plays in 21 countries. His plays have won 21 awards between them at national and international events. He has also spent the last seven years teaching business skills to artists and doing one-on-one -on -one career coaching. Let's say hello to Pete Malicki. Pete Malicki, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, brother, all the way from the other side of the world in Australia. I really appreciate your time, man. It's a pleasure to meet you. You too, Mike. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's dive right in.、Um, you know, I just recently found you on、uh, the wonderful world of social media. And、uh, got introduced to your work, and、uh, it's a very impressive、uh, breadth of of work you have going on here. You've got seventy different plays、uh, that have performed in over twenty one countries, and you've got twenty one awards,、uh, both nationwide and international awards, for this work. That's really incredible. So you're not only a writer of、uh, plays and、uh, You know, monologue books, which is how I originally、uh, found you, how I originally got introduced to you, but also novels as well. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this world of writing and what's so exciting about it for you? Well, it's it's not it's not a very glorious story, Mike. But <laughs> I started writing because I finished high school and I didn't want to go to college. I just didn't have anything in particular that interested me, and I thought, well, I don't want to commit to. Three, four, five, six years of study when I don't really know what to do. So I sat at home and just started writing, and、um, it was a story that I actually came up with in year four as a small child, and it was about Joel the Onion of Death. Nice, as in a murderous onion.、Oh, nice. I started writing about this, and then thought it was a bit of fun, and then the next day I did a little bit more, and then after six months I realised I was writing a book. I'd, I'd written fifty thousand words or something. Wow.、Um, so it was kind of just by default. That I ended up doing it. I've always enjoyed writing as a kid, but I, I didn't actually set out when I was in school to to then become a professional writer、uh, until I was just doing it without thinking about it. 
but from there I I found a play competition one day and and I literally knew so little about theatre that I had to ask my dad if there was a play in the house that I could have a look at so I could see how it was structured and um, I ended up winning that competition it was an Australia-wide competition that's incredible so it was a bit of a fluke (laughs) yeah it was it was good but it was it was definitely a bit of a fluke um, having not not been a um, theatre expert by any means Right. Um, I just had a fun idea and, and it happened to translate really well to stage and gave me that foot in the door, which I wouldn't have otherwise had probably if I'd never stumbled across that ad and had a little bit of writing experience. And uh, it built from there. I, 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 I ended up writing five novels mm-hmm. and trying very hard to get those published. Right. And I realized that the publishing industry is just incredibly difficult to crack. If you don't have fame for some other reason, like you're a, you're a famous sports player or something like that, right? Or if you don't already have a body of work behind you, or or just some like really incredible qualification, right? There's very few new authors get published, and particularly in these days where the digital world's come in and destroyed the traditional book industry, right? So I just found that trying to get these books that I'd written published for years and years and years, getting a lot of interest but never actually getting an offer was was really frustrating. And then when I discovered the world of short theatre, I realised that there was just a plethora of opportunities and um, so many organisations wanting to produce short plays and so many events and competitions and that kind of thing mm. that it was very easy to get work produced. Mm. So rather than spending time writing novels that would sit on my computer and not get read, I thought, well, I'd rather I'd rather write content that can actually get in front of an audience and people can see it and enjoy it. That's a big driver for me uh, as a writer is, is sure. other people enjoying my work. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was that was basically my pathway into the world, and and then it just grew from there. Wow, that's really amazing. And uh, uh, I hear you on the challenges. I mean, uh, I'm sure actors can experience that too. I mean, you're diving into an industry where uh, it's really hard to break in, and so um, there are a lot of challenges with that. But now that you have uh, found your way into the theater industry, uh, what is it about writing for theater or choosing that medium as a storytelling medium that uh, excites you? What really excites me about theater is that it's a medium in which you can have a performance happening in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. In the movies, of course, it's pre-recorded. You're just going in and seeing the movie that's, that everyone else is seeing. Mm-hmm. As a book, you're just reading it. There are obviously pros and cons to all of these different media, but in theatre, the great thing is is that the, this performance happens right in front of your eyes. You're in the room where where the scene is playing out. You feel like you're more included in a theatre scene than you do in other media. Right. So it, it it's a really it's just a really wonderful experience for an audience, particularly when the quality is good. When the quality is good, you really feel like you're part of that world that you see on the stage. Yeah, there's something uh, from my perspective, certainly uh, being on both sides of it, on stage and and watching from the audience. I think there's something really unique about the fact that when someone speaks those words, they are viscerally hitting you. They are physically coming into your body, and you have that direct connection with the person on stage. There is nothing but air that is uh, between you two, and that direct vibration is is hitting, coming from one person's soul and into yours, essentially. And and it's only happening right there, right now. And that's a really incredible experience. And I think as human beings, you you ha- just have such a deeper experience when when you're there uh hearing something come out of someone else's mouth i mean that's a really uh it's a really powerful medium i think which is why it's still around incredibly yeah absolutely and um i, I specialize in monologues now i found my niche 
uh, in those. And right. what I find is that monologues in particular uh, exemplify that idea in that you have one actor talking directly to the audience. And, and when you, when you see that, that audience members, um, even if there's a hundred or, or 500 of them, they feel like that actor is talking right to them and involving them in that story, much in the same way that if you're in a, in a, in a car or on a train with a friend and they're telling you a story that you feel a part of that. So it, it really does afford you this connection with the uh, with the storyteller that other other media just can't provide. Yeah, I think that's so true. And, and now I kind of want to dive into this topic of the monologues, because uh, from an actor's perspective, um, you know, we experience these certainly in production in many cases and uh, with Shakespeare, like we just talked about, in, in a very glorified case and many, many times with soliloquies and things like that. But more importantly, we experience it in the audition scenario and in that world it seems very challenging to create something that's visceral create this experience that we were just talking about that brings theater to a higher level in that audition scenario because sometimes you're crunched for time and of course sometimes you're in not ideal physical space and then of course very often more often than not you're you're not engaging with the audience who's there in the way that you might engage with the audience in the room because you're not going to be looking at them directly right you know you're going to sort of create the situation where you're looking above them uh, is sort of the more professional and more often than not uh, accepted way to go about doing this. So yeah. I think it would be very fascinating for me to hear your perspective as a writer as to what perhaps are the misconceptions that sometimes actors bring to a monologue and certainly when they use it for audition scenarios and then what um, what might be the way that you find that, that actors can really exemplify uh, the qualities that this monologue or a monologue situation really represents as an opportunity for a performer. Look, rather than responding as a writer here, I'll respond as somebody who ran a major theatre festival called Short and Sweet, which is actually the largest short play festival in the world. We produced 160 plays per year Fantastic. in a right. three-month season, which is pretty incredible. Right. And, and and also as a director and producer. So I, I've been on the other end of the audition table. There you go. Probably a thousand times. I probably would have run over a thousand auditions. So I, I have seen everything. Yeah, right. Yeah, look, there, there, are, there are some do's and don'ts, of course. There, there are some things that... Um, that actors get told which are extremely poor practice so i've had i've heard actors telling me that the advice they've been given is to go in very confident and if there's a piece of furniture in their way to move that piece of furniture straight away get it out of the road give them the space that they want because that is demonstrating their um you know their their level of confidence which will uh, allegedly translate into a confident um performance mm -hmm. take that out of the acting environment if someone came into say a job interview and they picked up the table and moved it somewhere else because they didn't like where it was positioned they are not getting that job. Right. So if you go into somebody's house or rehearsal space and you pick up their furniture and you move it without asking them, they're going to think you're an asshole, basically. And mm. I've had that happen. I've had that exact same thing happen. And I'm, I've just eyeballed the actor going, what are you doing touching my stuff without asking me? Right. And I think the advice is not entirely poor, but it's a little bit misguided. What people don't understand is that there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. You can be confident and still ask someone's permission. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that is not a mutually exclusive idea. You can be confident and still be polite and have manners and be nice. In terms of the script, for me, I mean, so another really good piece of advice I, I, I give everyone is that you are judged within seconds of starting your performance. Maybe 
10 seconds is about all the um, the panel really need to see to get a pretty reasonable idea of your abilities as an actor. Mm -hmm. You can start slow and build up and, and become more interesting, but nine times out of 10, uh, it's very transparent just how good you are as soon as you start your performance. Right. There are a lot of skills which will just come out right from the outset, irrespective of the approach that you're taking, and, and they're probably the key skills that you're judged on. A lot of the time, the script that you pick is not the most important thing. It, it's simply how much effort you put into it and how good a job that you do in that audition room. However, that said, if you really want to shine, um, there are always going to be good good performers in any in any audition scenario, and you will be competing with those. So there might be, even if it's 20% of, of actors who kind of got past that 10-second mark and, and really impressed the directors or producers or whoever on the other side of the table mm -hmm. um, that's where you start needing to differentiate yourself so probably the biggest piece of advice i would give is auditions usually run between like one and three minutes some, mm. somewhere in that zone that is actually quite a lot of time for you to demonstrate a range of your abilities right if you pick a two-minute piece where all you're doing is is showing one emotion substantially like you're quite angry or you're showing jealousy or you're showing happiness or whatever um you're really selling yourself short within two minutes you can go through quite a range and i like an audition piece which has a turning point which goes from one particular emotion or one particular track let's just say and and suddenly at some point really changes it around and and gives you as an actor the ability to show multiple um multiple capabilities in terms of what emotions that you can play out and how you handle that transition as well. Because the transition between one emotion uh, and another emotion is really important. Sure. I guess it's just like in a piece of music. When when the piece of music changes, if it goes into a bridging section or or just um, you know has it has a, a change like that that really gives it a different feel. That's such an important part of the piece of music. So similarly, uh, as an actor, you really want to be able to nail the way that you change from the first approach to the second approach. Right. And so in in. I think that being said, one of the that's one of the things that I really love about Shakespeare's uh, work and the and the pieces that I've been able to cobble together is something that I uh, use as my package of auditioning um, for dramatic or comedic pieces uh, with his material is that he often does allow for that conversation to happen. Generally speaking, certainly in comedy, there's a conflict within the person themselves who's talking. And I have found sometimes it has been challenging as an actor to find the material that does that in such a concise way, considering, you know, brevity is is uh, necessary in these audition circumstances. Yeah. It's been hard to find that sometimes, uh, certainly in some American work, uh, and, and especially contemporary work, where you'll get a piece, you'll get a monologue or something that can be, you know, sewn together into, you know, two minutes worth of uh, good material. But you may not have as such a dynamic play uh, unless it's coming from something like another person i think of it who's eric bogosian who's really who writes monologues right so unless it's coming from someone who is writing with the understanding that this one piece of text is telling a deep concise but also elaborate uh story and um is made to be performed in that way yeah, I've I found it to be challenging sometimes. So I appreciate that you're out there doing us a solid and writing material specifically for those circumstances. <laughs> um, I've uh, I can't wait to read it because I think it's uh, there could be a lot of great stuff in there. And um, I'm always looking, always looking 
for something new to bring into the room that really fires me up like that. Because again, you know, you want to have something that's different in the end than it than it was in the beginning. And because yeah. that makes it a better ride for me as a performer, and therefore the experience is better for me, and it's going to be that much more positive for uh, the casting director on the other side of the table. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And um, and this is kind of what got me into monologues, was just hearing this sentiment from all the actors that I know that it was just so hard to find good material. Uh, my my monologues are not audition monologues primarily. They're ten minute pieces, which are standalone performable monologues that that you would take to a festival or a, a showcase or something like that. Right. So you could do the same thing. Like most of those monologues, you could pull an extract an extract out and um, use them for an audition. But again, they're not quite fit for purpose, so they're not optimal. Uh, in, in that in that area, and uh, I am writing a book of audition monologues that will will be out there eventually, but uh, just haven't finished it off in amongst the other things that I'm working on. So yes, so Pete, let me ask you because uh, this is something I always love to throw to a writer who's in the room, which is so rare to have that circumstance as a performer. When you develop characters for your work, have you learned anything that could be helpful for actors when they go to work on fleshing out? characters from uh from plays or even from monologues and stuff like that yeah absolutely look this is one of the biggest areas where as an actor you can be doing a lot of work um your your ability as an actor uh is in your technical skills and just generally how good you are at performing it is only maybe 50 percent even less of what makes a good performance your ability to interpret a script and tell that story in an interesting way or even just the right way is is critically important and arguably the most important thing that you can do. It's the reason why everybody's there in the room, right? Exactly right. So, look, there, there's lots of there's lots of different bits of advice that I could give, and it's the kind of thing where I would I would run an entire workshop to answer a question like that. Sure. But look, here's here's a little um. Here's a little nugget that I, that I like to give. There's something called the law of diminishing returns. And what that means is once you have seen something for a while, its impact begins to gradually lessen over time. So in the case, I always like to use the example of when you see those um, American comedies where they're using the F-bomb every second word in every second sentence. After when you're, when you're like a quarter of the way through the movie, you don't hear the F-word anymore. They're just saying it. It's just like a piece of punctuation that means nothing. Right. Whereas you can imagine if you were reading Jane Austen and, you know, halfway through the book, uh, one of the uppity English women just says, you know, Mr. Darcy, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you would remember that F-bomb for the rest of your life. Right. So this, this, um, this philosophy applies to performance as well. If you have a piece which is predominantly angry, you start showing that anger, and after a very short amount of time, it's probably between 8 and 12 seconds, um, research suggests, that impact begins to fade. And after, you know, give it half a minute, it's irritating. So if you have a piece which looks one-dimensional in terms of the uh, emotion, emotion opportunities that you can show, um, you need to analyze it a lot deeper and try to find more different ways that you can convey that, um, that those emotions. I always like to, to tell actors that you should think of emotions on a scale. So there's everything in between 
slight irritation to frustration to anger to full-blown rage right that it might be the same thing but just at a, a different intensity level mm-hmm. um, and also look for the related emotions so if someone is angry what what's related to anger it could be jealousy it could be um, it could be frustration that's a little bit different um, just think of all the different um, nuances of emotion and try to play around with that um, uh, I think I think that's that's such a critical um, that's such a critical part of interpretation is to try to make sure that you're um, you're looking at that scale of the emotions and and trying to ramp up or, or tone down the intensity and, and finding those um, finding those related uh, emotions as well so that you're not just uh, sitting on on uh, like one thing for a long time. Absolutely. Uh, also, also I'd say in terms of interpretation. Mm. Like, like the comment I made before that in, in communication, it's maybe like 80% uh, uh, like nonverbal cues and um, tone and, and only 20% the words you say. I've actually seen that argument um, somewhere under 10% the words that you say. I think wh- whether that's true or not or whether I've got those percentages wrong, I think that, that it, it definitely does apply. And it's not so much the text that gives the meaning in most cases, it's actually the subtext. So if you're saying just um, any old sentence, it doesn't even matter what it is, you're not necessarily conveying the message literally, you're conveying the message with uh, the, the the subtext that you put behind that. Like you, right. with your you intention know the concept- or, you know, with the body language certainly and uh, inflection and all of that that comes along with uh, how you deliver your dialogue. Absolutely. So I, I like to do an exercise with an actor where they get every single sentence of their play, and this might take a very long time to do, but they write out what their character is really trying to say. Sure. So we have the concept of diplomacy. When you're being diplomatic with someone, you're trying to tell them something. You're doing it slightly indirectly, and you're trying to do it in a nice way that, that considers their, you know, their um, ego and emotional state and all of those things. And it's a really good way of communicating, of course. But if you just took out diplomacy, you'd very often be quite blunt and and, and just say, I don't know, like you screwed up and it's not good enough and you're going to get in trouble. Like there's lots of different ways to say that. Um, So getting getting every single line of your dialogue and, and reading that and saying, okay, what's the character really trying to say here and how do they feel about it? So I'd say write down the subtext and the emotion for every single sentence. And that's a really good approach, even though you don't necessarily have to go into that depth because that does take a very long time to do. And and you can often lose the big picture if you're focusing on every little sentence. But it is a really great exercise to explore, okay, what exactly is the character trying to say here? What message are they trying to convey? And and what emotion are they using while doing it? It, It's a really good way of, of, if nothing else, just eking out opportunities to try try something that's perhaps not as as obvious as you might think just from a first glance well yeah and i think you've just hit the nail on the head i think that's the most important part is uh offering yourself as a performer working with a piece of work opportunities as many opportunities as possible because that gives you options that gives you a lot of uh, stuff to bring to the table and i wonder if uh, maybe there's even some tips that you have uh, having experience creating a work from you know beginning to end that an actor can use when looking at just the written page and doing their homework, you know, doing their study at home. 
Are there elements in the text or even uh, in some, you know, scene descriptions or, of course, you know, what other people say about them that can help them flesh out a character and maybe what this character's motivations might be that aren't necessarily directly written in the text? Yeah, look, absolutely. And that's that's an interesting that's an interesting question, because very often you can add something to text which isn't or, or to a performance which isn't really explicit in the text. You can add a layer of interpretation that works for the text as a complement, but but doesn't necessarily uh, isn't necessarily reflected literally in the text. So one exercise that I that I, I think is really great, particularly in something like a monologue where you've got a lot of um, airtime, just you, is to write a character card. So with that, I'd say get a list of demical, demographical information and, and populate that. So what is your age? What is your name? What is your um, ethnic background? Uh, what is your level of education? What are your parents' names? What did your parents do? Where did you go to school? What are your hobbies? And, and you know, answering as many questions like that as you can. There, there could be hundreds. And just fleshing out a character in that fashion. Mm. Um, I've always found that it's a it's an amazing way of developing a character because you'll just ask yourselves questions that you would never ask just from reading the piece. Like, what does your, I don't know, what does your favourite food have to do with most monologues? Nothing. Can it inform how you do a performance? Well, it might. Maybe you talk about a, a, a piece of food um, in in the monologue and you can react to that a little bit. Like maybe you just screw up your face a little bit when you say the word broccoli. Right. And even it, that's that's a tiny little, tiny little nuance, but just doing little things like that, dozens of little things like that, is what makes something believable. Like if And it offers you, like you said, it offers you this palette of opportunity. Absolutely. Which you don't necessarily have to use everything all at once, but you do have the ability to use any one of these things at any given moment. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and it, does, it just does help you think about things that perhaps you wouldn't think about just from reading the text because the, the, these things are not even in the text. And just a, a little tack-on um, exercise that I, I think is really wonderful in terms of fleshing out a character like that is to do an interview with a friend. So get your friend to ask questions of your character. And it's not about answering those questions in character. It's about thinking of background information that you haven't thought of. So I do this exercise in classes and I'll say, um, so what, uh, what kind of mark did you get in high school? And, and then the, um, the actor is, is having to think, all right, like what, what, how, what is my, like how smart is my character? What kind of performer would they have been in, in high school? Were they really smart in school and then they went south or, or were they really dumb and now they picked it up in their later years? That kind right. of thing. And just asking a whole series of random questions. Uh, I don't know, like you're at a speed dating event or something like that. It's, right. it's a really wonderful way of fleshing out that character. Yeah. 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 Really, really great tips. And you know, it's funny because, uh, Certainly in American theatrical training, there is a lot of that experience that goes into the training side of it. But often, and I found this, I'm guilty of this myself for sure, uh, we forget a lot of that when we're approaching something in the professional world. Because all of these other pressures, or at least perceived pressures, take priority and we feel like we have to get something right. Yeah. Which is actually um, really inhibiting. I have come to experience, uh, you know, so we need to get back to allowing ourselves this exploration uh, these challenges that, that let us explore in a really big way, in a really broad way outside of the world that is directly related to what is going on on the page 
to offer you the ability to play as an actor and bring all these choices to the table. And then you can mess around and see what uh, works for you and then what also uh, ties into making sense in the world. So, it's a, yeah, you've got a lot of uh, really good options there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, another... Another couple of quick tips I'd say on that is one, don't be, um, don't, don't get married to anything that you do during these exercises. Sometimes you make, uh, decisions which just aren't the best fit. So feel sure. free to change. Uh, I've, I've worked with actors who don't want to change and that's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, and also think about things like mannerisms because mannerisms really characterize how a lot of people communicate. Although they're not always relevant, depending on the piece, throwing in a mannerism can be a super quick way of conveying what your character is like to an audience without having to use dialogue. And that can really help you fast track the process. If you're thinking about in an audition where you want to go from uh, emotion A to uh, emotion B and show that really nice range of ability, you can throw in some mannerisms to really quickly establish, uh, I suppose, a, an archetype of a character, if you will. Or, or just um, make it really clear really quickly. Sure, or a way to really ground you in the world of this character. I, I think Chekhov calls them uh, psychological gestures. Yeah. Hey, actor CEOs, Mike Moreno here talking directly to my listeners. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. I just want to take a second to remind you to sign up for our newsletter at actorceo.com slash newsletter. When you do, you'll get exclusive content delivered to your inbox on Monday alongside the episode release. It's a great way to add tools to your arsenal like an audition scene database, video tutorials with guests, deals on business cards and headshots, and many more that are only offered in the newsletter. Take your career to the the next level and sign up at actorceo.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. So let's jump to this. Uh, speaking of all these uh, great tips, and um, I'm sure, like you've said, you've offered many of these in uh, workshops and classes that you've taught. You do workshops on business skills for actors and uh, also uh, career coaching services to actors and other artists. Are there some tips that you have in that specific world on building uh, building your career as an artist, that's some sort of sustainable uh, career for yourself, which is very much what uh, the actor CEO is all about? Look, there's a million tips. I, I've I've run full day workshops on this. So, sure. uh, I mean, there's any number of things that I could say. Um, but look, what, what's really interesting I found is that having run these workshops many times, I've seen that I'll run a workshop and I'll give six hours worth of really great tips on how to, you know, boost your career. And people very often walk away and they're, they're nodding their head going, wow, that was really great. That's useful advice. But then they don't really do anything. They don't change their behaviors. They don't put it into practice. Right. So if I was to kind of, I, I think, I think at this point now, after running these workshops for a while, um, going to a full time job and, and stepping back from the arts world a little bit, not just mixing with, um, actors every day like I used to, mm-hmm. working with, um, like a very different kind of person in a, in a professional space mostly like intellectuals with master's degrees, that kind of thing. Then coming back to mixing with my actor friends, I actually would say that the one thing I've noticed actors are really not good at, maybe it's not around the world, maybe it's just here in Sydney, but it's listening to good advice. Wow, and what I find is that I'll have a conversation and I'll, I'll, I'll be saying, oh, yeah, it really frustrates me how actors do A, B and C. And nine times out of ten, the actor that I'm talking to is just nodding along going, yeah, 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 like I totally know. But the truth is, very often they totally don't know that. They're just 
trying to establish themselves as somebody who knows the same kind of information as someone like myself and and maybe that's a that's a process that's more about their ego or um trying to trying to feel like they have the same level of experience as myself and that's really um that's really inhibiting their ability to actually progress because for me i don't i don't really care like i'm I'm not there trying to compete with anyone Right. I'm not there thinking, oh, wow, I'm doing so much better than this guy. I'm just a guy who's living his life and, and doing his thing, and I don't really care beyond that. Um, but look, that aside, honestly, I, I see that it's a real big problem that you give actors advice and they kind of nod along and, and um, don't don't really take it on board that well because they want to tell themselves that they already know it. Right. Uh, so what, what I'd really suggest is if you ever have the opportunity to – mix with someone who's who's been really successful and built a really successful career it's just like just listen to them and and don't yes. don't pretend that you've had the same successful career they have um you haven't if they're more successful than you you haven't had that same successful career and that doesn't mean you can't that doesn't mean that you're worse than them right. it just means they may be further down that path right so just just shut up and listen to them and and you might hear some really great advice that you would otherwise miss if you're too busy trying to show off man i completely agree with you obviously that's why i'm doing a podcast about this entire thing because i went out seeking that advice you know what i mean one of the best pieces of advice having gone to a a bachelor of fine arts program studying acting then a master of fine arts program studying acting in that master's program i brought in this uh you know camera teacher from l.a and I was driving him to the airport, and he said, the best piece of advice I can give you is never stop going to class. Even once you graduate, never stop going to class. Never stop learning about the craft. Yeah. And I really took that to heart because you always have the ability to get better. You always have the ability to find some insight. You always have the ability to to gain some knowledge from experience of people who are you know, a few steps ahead of you. And uh, it doesn't take away from the value that you have. Uh, it just means that you can listen and, uh, you know, not think that you know everything. Because the minute that you think that you know everything, you you really start degrading yourself creatively and I think professionally. Uh, especially in this business where, you know, like we were just saying about everything, about the writing, about approaching the writing, approaching the work, offering yourself this palette of opportunities, offering yourself this, you know, a myriad of choices is always a good thing. So the minute you start limiting that, you're really limiting your potential. So uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm totally with you there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And look, if I can just give a couple more tips. Sure, please, drop some knowledge, man. Yeah, look, treating your um, treating your career as a business is really important. Um, a, a, an exercise that I do in class that I, I think is always really fascinating is asking actors, why do you want to be actors? And almost invariably, the answer is along the lines of, because I love it, because I love telling stories, because acting makes me feel alive, it's my passion, um, you know, comments like that. And they're perfectly valid comments. But I'll, right. I'll often respond and say, look, those are not business objectives. They're personal objectives. And if that's your motivation, you could still achieve those things whilst going and having a normal job and just doing acting on the side on the weekend. Sure. If you want to actually make your career as an actor, then you have to start thinking from a different angle. You have to start thinking, well, my main priority needs to be at least, at the very least as a baseline, financial stability. You can't have a career if you're not earning enough money. Right. And it's a freaking hard industry. I mean, I know... 
Uh, you guys in the States, unfortunately, in, in the lower income levels, life is really, really hard. Whereas at least in Australia, you know, our minimum wage is, is like $17.50. Right. Um, which is probably about 14 US dollars. So like you can, you can still survive on the minimum wage pretty comfortably. Whereas if you're, you know, working as a waiter in the US earning $2 an hour plus tips, right. life is really, really hard. But look, if, if you want to make a career of something, then you need to be thinking, okay, well, how do I, how do I earn an income? How do I earn a living from this? Cause otherwise it's not a career. It's a hobby. Right. And, and maybe, maybe it's going to take you five years before you're ever earning an income enough to support yourself and that's fine then then make it a five-year process to get to that point yeah and have a plan about how you're going to do that that's the most helpful part right you can't just come in thinking that's going to happen for you you have to go okay well if this is a business and people are succeeding at it who are those people how do i talk to them how do i find out how it works and then how do i create a plan for myself that is based in reality that gets me from point a to b to c and then moving on to this five-year goal yeah and pete that's we are not taught we are not taught that in school i know so rarely is that ever a conversation in the training programs and I you know I say it on this podcast all the time I give it to them that that is not necessarily their purpose I understand that they the majority of their purpose is to build an actor who can who can work with directors who can work in the industry in terms of being able to to have a craft and, and creatively explore I understand that but there must be a way to translate this information to actors that this is also how you build a business out of doing this well, look, that's the that's the gap that I'm trying to fill here in Sydney. I'm doing a, a video tip series, so I'll be I'll be putting those all around Facebook. So anyone who's on Facebook who who finds me will will see these. It's not just like there's one thing that you can do. Like first, you have to get cast in a in a TV commercial, and then you will get this next thing, and then you will get that that next thing. It's just not how it works. You have to build. Like any career, you just have to build a body of experience and work at, at one particular level before you have the the clout and the reputation and the, the skills and experience to get work at the next level up. That's completely true. And building relationships with the people in the industry. That is, in my experience, one of the most important things that uh, an actor has to do in order to create a career. Uh, but again, that is not something that is... How do you go about doing it? How do you go about professionally staying in touch with these people? How do you go about making sure uh, they see your work? You know, how do you go about, uh, you know, dealing with that audition room and making sure that, you know, you're in there in a professional way, like you were saying earlier? And, you know, yeah. it's from seeking out this, these, this insight and these experiences. And that's why here in, a, in the States, certainly the uh, pay to play workshops have become so popular, I think, uh, because that's a way to get in front of these people and also sometimes gain this, this insight to uh, what it means to uh, what casting directors are really looking for and what works and what doesn't. But you know, the, the, you don't, you're not learning that in a, in a school. And again, to be fair, you know, a lot of these teachers who are there, if they were ever in the industry in a meaningful way, were in it probably two decades ago. So, <laughs> you know, so it's not necessarily the freshest information. And again, that's not to belittle what they are bringing to the table because what they are bringing to the table in terms of the craft can be really quite extraordinary. But uh, there has to be the other side of the coin. Yeah, look, absolutely. And and um, if I can share a little bit of, of the pathway that I've taken, um, sure. I, I found a, a niche in, in the world as a monologue writer. And, and I found after trying to write books and not having much success, sadly, um, writing a lot of plays and getting productions, but not really getting any income or, you know, anything substantial out of it. 
I discovered that monologues is an area uh, as a writer where there's just not that much competition. I don't know of anyone else who specialises in monologues. I know a lot of people who who write them and, and some people who have written very good monologues, but I don't know anyone who's written as many as I have. Mm-hmm. I've written about 35 10-minute monologues plus a few full-length ones. Right. Um, and, and I've also found the markets around the world – uh, which which need that material in Australia, our New South Wales, my state, the high school market. Every drama student has to perform a six to eight minute monologue, and they just don't know how to find material. So I've been hitting that market up. In the US, there's the speech debate forensics markets. Um, sure. There's a huge number of high school students who who want to do humorous interpretation um, and dramatic interpretation performances in in um, uh, Bulgaria, there's something called BEST. It's an English debate uh, competition. So I have all these random Bulgarian kids contacting me, yeah. asking me to perform their monologues, which is my monologue, sorry, which is really hilarious. Um, That's great. Yeah, like I, I've just I've just identified this niche um, and and found a way of, of, of filling it. And also with the business skills stuff, I mean, I'm fortunate in that I have a a business background and I, I work full time for the government and I do have those skills, but mm-hmm. developing um, some courses and, and that kind of thing, like I'm building this big online um, way of teaching business skills, sharing a lot of that for free as well via, you know, social media and Facebook, but sure. creating this, this thing that I have not seen out there in the world. I'm sure it exists somewhere, but it, there's just not that much of it compared to, I mean, how many acting courses are there in the world? Literally millions. Right. Um, so, so like something that I really strongly encourage anyone in the arts to do is look for those opportunities, much like if you're running any kind of business, you can go and you can open um, a news agency or a, a cafe, but like there's millions of cafes out there and there's only so much potential that you can have with your cafe. Um, you, sure, you might make a tidy living, but it might not really go anywhere beyond that. And, and having a think about um, maybe something a little bit more innovative. What can you do as an actor that other people aren't doing? And and I had a um, a little challenge to come up with 100 business ideas for artists in Sydney, and I, I've come up with about 30 without ever actually spending the time to focus on this. Right. Um, I might give you guys one for free. How about that? Yeah, that'd this be is, great. This is something that I haven't um, that I haven't heard, and I, I haven't actually heard happen in practice. And I would love to hear that someone's listened to this podcast and gone out and done this. Sure. But um, here's a, here's a great market for you: weddings. People spend a lot of money at weddings, right? Yep. Now you could offer a service where you do a reenactment of the the bride and groom. So you could um, get together with them, talk to them ask for their stories and then you could get two actors to go together and you you could perform the first time that they met or um, their first date or the the, in, um, the engagement and that kind of thing and you could actually play out a few scenes from their lives can you just imagine how entertaining that would be at a wedding right like sure people would i mean that love is that. that is literally what the uh the best man and the um maid of honor do in their speeches Exactly. You know so I mean? that's just and it doesn't really... take away from their their experience and those speeches. So you wouldn't be substituting that out. But I mean, there's a myriad of ways you could go about doing that. I mean, from obviously the performers in the space to a freaking puppet show to you know, however however crazy these people are willing to let you go, it could be videotaped <laughs> and even sent in. You know what I mean? You don't even necessarily have to be there. So uh, yeah, there's there is lots of opportunity there. 
great, exactly. great free advice, man. <laughs> yeah, so look, please, please someone someone go out and, and run that business because it's so easy to put that together. Like, there's not a great deal. if you Once you've done the basics of setting up a business, there's actually not a great deal you need to do other than finding finding clients. Sure. Um, just like anything else. So, yeah, yeah, like you just need to have a few actors in a troupe who, who've got decent ability and then figure out how to work together with people and, and, and what to do. Like that's such an opportunity. Um, and, and like I said, I've got 30 of those just off the top of my head. Um, all, I, all I don't have is the time to put them into practice. So everyone can do this. Everyone, like you're in the creative industry, you also have the opportunity to to um, to do the same thing, to think creatively about what you can do as an actor or, or any other kind of artist and what are some other ways that you can offer your services that are not just the typical theatre, TV commercials, films, that kind of thing. Even those, th- even though those things are great, it's a flooded market. There is a lot of competition, but you could go out there and run your own business with very little competition, still do what you love, um, and hopefully earn a decent, decent living from it. There you go. That is exactly, exactly right. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there if we, uh, broaden our horizons. Pete, thank you so much. What a fascinating conversation. I gotta say, like, I really enjoyed this. Uh, it's so amazing to meet you. So amazing to, uh, have you on the podcast and talk about your wide experience in this business, as well as, uh, getting such great insight from someone from coming from Australia, certainly, uh, and then also, uh, coming from the writing side again, uh, in a very specific way, man. I really appreciate, uh, you being here and spending your time with us. Absolute pleasure, Mike. Um, have me back anytime. I really enjoyed it. Find all the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes at actorceo.com slash 20. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Actor CEO podcast on iTunes and at actorceo.com.